0: to give our lives totally as a gift of love. That's where we find ourselves. We want to go to mass. We want to go often. We want to enter into that sacrifice.
1: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. I am Mike Gomer Gormley, and I am joined by a very special non-Dave Van Vickle guest today. I am excited. It's the one, the only, Dr. Edward Shree. How you doing, doctor? I'm doing well. Great to be with you. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited because... Number one, your books, your stuff that you have out uh, with Ascension Press has been a part of my parish's curriculum for adult faith formation now since I I think for all 10 years of the biblical walk through the mass, at least nine and a half years. Um, And I've loved it. I loved your stuff. But I actually have a weird roundabout connection with you. Because I was a junior at Franciscan. I hadn't taken any of my language requirements. And so I enrolled in their Summer Ancient Languages Institute, which is the dumbest thing for me to do because I'm terrible at languages. So I signed up for Ancient Greek, and in walks this ginormous football player from <laughs> Benedictine. <laughs> yeah.
0: Andy. And he- yeah, and he
1: comes in and he sits down, and I'm like, "Oh, look at this meathead over here! I'm gonna destroy him." And then we start going, and I mean, number one, he's a, a trillion times smarter than I am, and I was like, "Dude, what is your story?" And he's like, "Well, I went to Benedictine for football, and then I sit in this theology class, and I can't wait to destroy the professor." And he said it was something like, <laughs> "Of course, it was like." 15 years ago now but he said something along the lines of the professor's first thing in classes now how many of you don't believe in God let's talk about that and you had like weeks of classes where you went through the existence of God or and arguments and all this stuff and he said at halfway through the semester I became convinced that God was real and you know, uh, do you remember that good old Doctor Andrew Swafford? Andrew Swafford,
0: a great friend, great student, nice. great teacher. Now himself is awesome. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, he's he's an incredible <laughs> story, and that that happened. You know, m- there are many stories like that at Benedictine College in those early days. Yeah. You know, today Benedictine is known as one of the you know top Catholic dynamic colleges. You know, but back in you know twenty years ago, it was it was a party school, and it was so fun. To, Focus was born there. I think you know that. So yeah, uh, yeah. so Focus had a huge part in transforming that campus life from a culture of drunkenness and unchaste living to a culture of daily mass and a dozen <laughs> vocations every year coming out of there. this is yeah. really and andy's one of those great great hero stories
1: yeah and i'm super thankful for that conversion of the school because my nephew drew went there he's my godson as well he's my first godson and uh, he went to Benedictine. He was a football player, too. He was big old me head. Hey, what's up? What's up, Uncle Mike? Like, the, he's so <laughs> funny. But, you know, his Catholic faith was center in his life. And that school nurtured it as much as it did his academic life and his football life. So it's awesome. It's awesome. Good testament to all you guys when it was a scrappy, uh, scrappy party school slowly being birthed into the Catholic world. I love it. Um, but the, one of the reasons why I want to have you on the show is, uh, we have done several episodes on the theology of the atonement and we're going to talk. I, I feel like so many Catholics don't understand how to approach, like uh, the, the main question I get is, but why did he have to die? Like why the death? Why the blood? Why the shed? Cause we tell people all the time um you know like inter- you know the kerygma right you like you're t- sharing the basic gospel message that god loves you uh, st paul says in galatians right he loved me and he gave himself for me and this notion of of christ's redeeming love i think so often because as catholics we hear the big story we we have the good friday images we have crucifixes But I want to help people take that deeper next step dive into the theology of atonements. And there is theologies, plural, of atonements, right? There are different ways of looking at the atonement and all this stuff. So um, one of the things that I talked about, I got lost on YouTube one day watching some Orthodox metropolitan. And it's so funny because I, I like love the Orthodox, but it's funny when you hear them when they're in their own group. And every so often they just take these pot shots at Roman Catholics. I like, will the Roman distortion. And I was like, Oh no, Oh no. So it, it actually lit a fire in me to understand more of the Orthodox theology, the church fathers. And now I'm neck deep in, in all these wonderful books on the atonement theology that I'm just starting to make my way through. But when you're talking about, if someone were to ask you, but why did the son of God have to die? Why do you, I get to take, on a human nature becoming one of us but why did he have to die how would you begin to kind of break that down
0: for people? Well, I, I would point out, this is something Aquinas does. You know, he says, well, I mean, God's God. He could have saved the world however he wanted to. But this is the most perfect way. It's, it's the most fitting way. So I would not want to stress what we mean when we say had to. I would want to contextualize it in that sense. But uh, that being said, why is it the best way? Uh, well, first of all, I, I think the death shows how serious our sinfulness is. The really serious problem of sin, I think, in our modern kind of Catholic popular culture, you know, of Catholic theology that that's popularized oftentimes makes sin to be some like, oh, it's like not a big deal. It's just kind of like a mistake. You know, you made a mistake, oh, you have some little weaknesses and you bring them to confession and God'll forgive you. you. Know we have to realize, no, no, sin. Sin is is slavery. That's how Titus describes it in Titus 3, 3, you know, that we are slaves to our passions yep. and desires, you know, and it's a serious situation when I am a slave to the reign of Satan, because Satan has a hold on me. When I give in to sin, the more I give in to discouragement and give in to pride and give in to selfishness and impatience, Satan has his way with me more. I want to be free from that, and and Jesus is showing this is how serious sin is. It, it, it broke our relationship with God. It put us under the reign of the enemy, and and Jesus died for us. You know, it's like you know when we see someone go into battle and they die for you and for the country. It's it's messy. It's ugly. It's bloody, and 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 and. But you see how much they loved us. They also see how much they had to go through to, to save us. And so it, it shows them the ugliness of sin. But uh, as I just mentioned there, it also shows the beauty, the absolute beauty of Jesus's amazing love. And so I, I think today we don't emphasize the love enough. I don't think people, many, many of our modern Christians see the love. I mean, they say, yeah, Jesus loves us so much, he died for us. But the popular notion that's out there, you see it in a lot of our Protestant brothers and sisters. You certainly see this in many Catholic circles. I've seen many Catholic presenters present the cross as like, you know, that Jesus comes and he just takes this punishment for us. And the emphasis is on punishment. It's on the wrath of God. And so as you're studying these books, you know that theory is called penal substitution. And yeah. that that's that's on a Catholic view, you know. So I, uh, what is the what is penal substitution? I want to make it really easy for all the listeners, you know, to just grasp this. But it's a view of the cross that says that, that that the primary focus is on Jesus taking our punishment. And so I give the example all the time. I said, imagine there was a father, and there was a son that was disobedient and deserved a punishment. The son was going to get a spanking, say. But then the other brother says, "No, dad, don't spank my brother. Spank me instead." <laughs> and the father looks at the Innocent son, he looks at the guilty one. He looks at the innocent one, the guilty one. He says, "I don't care who I spank. I just have to spank someone and get this anger and this punishment out." And so he wails on on the innocent child. How would that possibly solve the problem uh, of that injustice or sin that the the son had committed? You know, a, a father that did that is not a father of justice or mercy. And yet that's how the cross is often preached, that God loves us so much, he sent his son to die for us, and he stepped in and took the wrath of the Father, the punishment that we deserved. That, that's not a Catholic understanding of the cross. Read St. Anselm, read St. Thomas Aquinas, read the scriptures. It's very much about love. It's a gift of love that Jesus offers. So Michael, maybe, can I give one analogy along this line? Oh, I w- I, yes, absolutely.
1: Yeah,
0: I, I, and, and you're married, and you've been married I how am- long? Uh, almost 13 years. Almost 13 years. So I don't know. Have feels you ever heard-
1: like 20. Am I right? Up top. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> ha- have just you kind. ever hurt your wife? Does
0: that ever happen in the in, uh, her in, feelings? In the, in the uh, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I, I, I've been married. I've got, actually, I've actually, I got almost 23 years of marriage nice. coming up this summer and I know I love my wife. I really do, but I've hurt her, you know, with unkind words or just not thinking through or being impatient or whatever. And, and sometimes when I hurt her, I, I just say, sorry, a heartfelt, sorry. I went up Give an like an act of love to make up for my lack of love, uh, or sometimes like if it's you know maybe I hold her hand and say I'm sorry, I put my arm around, her, I give her a hug. Like just last night I did something and I said, oh I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. I give her this big hug because <laughs> I'm trying to give an act of love to make up for yeah. my lack of love. Right, that's how we bring reconciliation in human relationships. When it's a little more serious, maybe I better like, I better go buy some flowers <laughs> you know, or so, mm-hmm. or my my her favorite chocolates or something. Right, so again, it's an act of love to make up for my lack of love. That's how relationships work. Well, because we're human yeah. and we've sinned against God, there's nothing we can do on our own to make up for that. You know, it's like I, I, we're finite human beings and, and we owe God our whole lives already. <laughs> you know, be kind of like if I said to my wife, oh, I'm sorry, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll take out the trash. Well, I'm supposed to take out the trash. That doesn't do it. I mean, that's just what I'm supposed to do. My whole life, I owe everything to God. There's nothing I can give him. So that's why God became one of us. In Jesus. Uh, he became one of us so that he can represent us and perform an act of love on our behalf to the Father. But he, because he's divine, his act of love has infinite value. And so that's why the catechism says it's love to the end that gives the cross its redemptive value. So it's a yeah. gift of love. And I, I think it's so important that we see this proper Catholic atonement theology. Don't get me wrong, there's suffering, of course. And there is like he is stepping into our punishment. There's an element of that. But the emphasis is on more, he's he's offering a gift of love and yeah. he's showing us how to love. So I was just teaching a class just yesterday for all the focus missionaries. And I was reminding them of this. I said, you know, Jesus didn't die so we don't have to. No, Jesus died so that he could fill us with his life so that we could learn to love like he did on the cross. So we can offer total perfect self-giving love to the father, to our spouses, to our children, to our friends, to our family. We're called to live like Christ. You know, when you buy atonement theology, you buy into just kind of a spiritual entitlement. Well, Jesus just did it all for me. And so I look at Jesus more as what he does for me in terms of what he's inviting me to live with him.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, in the com, and this is part of the reason why we're doing atonement theology is because I was definitely one of those speakers because there's so much that's out there that confuses the the notion of he did it for me with penal substitutionary atonement in in a very like blatant way like you know i was listening to this one catholic priest and he's like well you know the catechism talks about substitution so you can use this language too because there is one paragraph in under the the heading of uh, uh, jesus christ suffered died and was buried you know in the catechism where it uses that that word substitution but it do, it's not it, – <laughs> but it also, in paragraph 603, directly condemns – and this goes back to the Council of Trent – the idea of, of him being reprobated as if he himself had sinned, which is one of the interesting things because, you know, R.C. Sproul, he's a very famous um, Reformed um, Presbyterian pastor, Reformed theology. He has this phrase that is so potent where he said, when Christ was on the cross, all the Father could see was our sin, and oh. God the Father said to Jesus, "God damn you!" And so He oh, bore the curse. <laughs> and then He says, "This is what you have to understand: He bore the curse. He was cursed. God cursed Him. He it damned Him. And the Son did it out of love for you, right?" I, and <laughs> yeah, and the but the beautiful thing that the Orthodox uh, clergy kind of redirected me because you know satisfaction theory of atonement, Saint Anselm, Saint Thomas Aquinas it's very easy to lose sight of the love component when you say, well, Jesus paid the debt I owed because I couldn't pay the debt myself, right? He, mm-hmm. he paid what I owed. And this notion, though, um, of like, yeah, he took the fall for me. Right. He's the fall guy. He's the guy who, you know, we used to get these emails, chain emails when I was a youth minister 15 years ago, where Jesus opened up these drawers filled with the catalogs of your sin and in his blood wrote his name atop your name. And I was like, but that's exactly what the Council of Trent says. You cannot say as a Catholic that Jesus was condemned to die by God, the father and the Orthodox um, metropolitan. He said, how could we introduce division into the life of the Trinity? And the union, the alienation between humanity and God was first overcome, not on the cross, but in the overshadowing of the Virgin Mary in the conception of Christ, the hypostatic union. And when he said those lines, all of the sacramental theology that I had studied and I had presented on came alive in a new way because they say over and over again in the catechism, the whole life of Christ is salvific. The whole life, everything of Christ. It anticipates the cross, to be sure, in the resurrection, but his whole life, even the hidden life of Christ was salvific, right? The 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 sacraments are the powers that go forth from Christ. Footnote, it's the woman with the hemorrhage that Christ heals. And you hear all this beautiful stuff. So, how does a Catholic understand the difference between Christ being hung on a tree and cursed be anyone who's hung from a tree versus God the Father cursing Jesus as if he himself had sinned. How do we kind of parse those oh, two things yeah. out? yeah,
0: I want to. I, I love this. this. is so fun, and it's so important we get this right. There, there are so many popular presentations of faith right now that are leading people astray, and it leads to great problems, right? And, and what yeah. that Greek Orthodox theologian said is is totally Catholic. It's totally spot right. on. You know, I, 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 my kids always make fun of me when I, when they see like I, I wince like if I'm at a mass and I hear something that's off in theology, <laughs> you know. And they, and there's this one song that they. They play at our church, and it, and it and it, and it, and I. It's a beautiful melody. It's an and, awesome song, and, if, and, and if, I hope we're thinking of the same. I don't song, know if it's the song. same one, but it's the one where it says, "And the father turned his face away." Do you know? Oh this no, one? no, no! Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. See what love the father has for us, and this is, and the father turned his face away from Jesus. Like, and they they sing this on Good Friday, and I just like I put my head down, and my kids are all looking at me, Dad, Dad, don't <laughs> just like because. I'm sure that's coming from a place of I want to you know express the the suffering Jesus endured <laughs> for us but the father did not ever ever turn the face away from the son the john chapter 10 right the father and the son are one aquinas explains even in his death jesus still sees the beatific vision right so uh, he he was never rejected by the father and you know the line from psalm 22 yeah. that jesus quotes my god my god why have you forsaken me is is an opening line from psalm 22 he's not like it, it, it's a psalm that, that that jesus is bringing to mind like the whole story you know like if yeah. i if you ask me, hey, Dutch what band do you listen to? And I said, oh, I don't know. It's a beautiful day, you know, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And I, I, I'm talking, if you don't know the band U2, it sounds like I'm just talking gibberish, right? Yeah. But, but if you know, I, the, I'm just alluding to the music, you kind of go, oh, I, I yeah. get the whole context. He's talking about Bono and U2, right? Well, Jesus, when he quotes Psalm 22, he, he's bringing in mind this whole context of the psalm that is about a man that feels as if he's going through great suffering, but he trusts in the Lord. The song goes on and he, he says, the father's gonna rescue me and the, all the ends of the earth are gonna turn and worship to the Lord. You know, it's, yeah. not, it's not a song of despair. It's a song of great confidence in darkness. That's what Jesus is doing. But back to your question, how do we-, how
1: but, do we but, but Dr. Shri. This is, this is what I hear, right? Yeah. He's condemned in the flesh, Jesus is, because of our sin. That's why he cries out the, the, the despair, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But this is to fulfill Isaiah 53, it pleased the father to crush his son into infirmity, right? That's the Because that, that's the substitutionary atonement is rooted in that view of Isaiah 53, and it's like, see? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Boom, there it is, he crushed him. You know, and I'm like, no, that's not that's not entirely it. How, how would you kind of like bring in Isaiah 53? Because it feels substitutionary, right? You have this, I think Pope Benedict would call it vicarious representation, right? Here's the leader as a forerunner on our behalf. But I don't know. I just yeah, get, I'm no, so no, nerd this is, now. This with is this beautiful. Stuff. No, no. I yeah. love
0: this because you're asking really pointed questions that, um, uh, Thankfully, most Catholics aren't asking. It's, it's coming from a, the more the Protestants yeah. who own that. But let, let me—I'm yeah. going to give you an analogy. This is how I view it because there is an element where Jesus, I would say, rather than takes on our punishment, I like to say rather like he runs in, he runs to it, or he enters into it for our on our behalf to rescue us. So uh, rather than, I don't, I don't think it's like the father is, you know, Jesus is laying on the father's lap and getting a spanking. I, d- I just think that's horrific to think of God the father that way. Um, as JP two condemns that view. He says that, you know, that, that they're just randomly meeting up punishment on an innocent victim. That's not who God is. So we, we just know that that's wrong, but, but we still have some of these texts, that they talk about this idea of, you know, the curse. It talks about, you know, being crushed. What, what is that about? So here's the analogy I'm gonna use. Okay, let's say. I so I live here in beautiful Colorado. We got the rock, wonderful Rocky Mountains, and we love to go hiking. We climb the 14ers as a family many times. But let's say one of my boys, I you know we're 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 hiking up a mountain, and there's this big powerful river coming down the mountain, and and they're trying to like throw rocks in the river. And I say, don't get too close to the river, and and they keep getting too close. I go, no, don't get close to the river. And then one of my sons disobeys me, and falls into this river, and his body's being taken away by the river. What do I do? I jump in to that river. Now, as he's going down that river, he's, his head and his legs, they have no control. He's, he's getting beat up and bruised by all the rocks. It, let's say it's you know, it super cold. His body is really frigid, you know, and, and he's just being swept away. As I jump into the river to rescue him, what's going to happen to my body? Guess what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have the same thing happen to me. I'm not going to have control over my body. All of my body's going to be scraped up. I'm going to get a concussion just like probably he did from my head being beaten up on these rocks. Uh, I'm, my body's going to be frigid like his. So I'm entering into his condition, right? His situation.
1: I love that. But, I, but it's I not so that. much like,
0: it's not like, oh, my son is suffering. I better go get a spanking from somebody. That's not what it's about. I'm going in and entering into it so that I can rescue him. And that's what Jesus, if you think about what Jesus does throughout our life, and I love, again, I'm going to go back to the Greek Orthodox, which again, it's fun, you're learning it from, but it's totally Catholic, totally Roman right, right, Catholic right. to view it this way as well. That it's the whole mystery of Christ's life from the incarnation to Pentecost, you know, that is uh, the saving act of Christ, right? But, but what Jesus does is he, he en- the son of God enters into our world. He's seeking us out. He, he enters into the limits of our finitude and humanity. right? He experiences hunger. He experiences sorrow. He, he weeps at Lazarus's death. And in his mission, he's constantly going out to all of the dark corners of Israel, all of those who are separated from God, whether it's through sin, suffering, the Gentiles, the tax collectors, the drunkards, he's constantly going out. So if you use the image of like when he goes and touches the leper, for example, you know, normally when you touch a leper, you become unclean. The mystery is that Jesus goes out and he, he touches the leper and instead of becoming unclean, the leper is cured and, and, and he's rescued. It's like Jesus is the light of the world. And when light shines in darkness, it's no longer dark. So Jesus goes into the darkness. Yes. Is he taking on the darkness yet? But it's light now. <laughs> is he going into leprosy? Yes. But it's not leprosy. It's a healed body now, you know, and does he go into death? Yes. But he made it life now. Uh, did he go into the curse? Yes. And he made it a blessing now. So I think that's the way we want to see it. We want to see it as this act of love. And, and, and is there suffering, total, intense suffering? Does he enter into our punishment? Does it really hurt? Absolutely. But it's not the father meeting out punishment upon us. So the father rejoices in seeing his son crushed. Not like I'm like, oh, that boy, he really ticked me off today. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm glad he's being crushed right now. It's not like that. He rejoices in the love the father rejoices in the love of the son that the son loves so much that he's willing to die for us.
1: I love that notion of he flung himself into the river, right? Or you, you flung yourself into the river after your son and the condition of being in the river, right? Is the condition that he voluntarily accepted onto himself, right? In obedience, right? In obedience to the father. It wasn't like the father said, I want you to take this rock and smack yourself repeatedly in the head to simulate what it's like to be, no, it's the act of rescuing involves going all the way down, right? The self-emptying, the kenosis going all the way down. It involves taking on, taking on human nature to heal that alienation involves necessarily taking on death. And so I, I love that, I love that image because this is the beautiful, the beautiful movement by which like we are saved. So let me ask you one last question. Why is he cursed hanging on a tree, right? What, what, wh- how do you talk about when Saint Peter and Saint Paul talk about? You know, it's it's part of the charismatic sermons in Acts. You hung him on a tree, Saint Peter says, right? You hung him from a tree, and as you know, the Scripture says and Moses says, "Cursed be anyone who hangs from a tree." So, how w- what was the curse that Jesus bore for us on the tree? How do how do you talk about that?
0: Yeah, I mean, it, he's entering into the curses of all humanity from Adam. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think about what what are the curses that Adam had, you know, he was going to have the sweat on his brow. He was going to thorns and thistles come forth from the earth. It wasn't going to be easy to till the soil anymore. Uh, he's going to experience death. Adam is going to be uh, returning to the ground. Well, Jesus enters into all that on Good on Holy Thursday night. He's sweating like drops of blood on Good Friday. He gets the thorns in the his head. He enters into death and he goes to the ground. So I think there's you look at it from broadly in humanity, you see the curses of Adam, Jesus enters into again it's not like the father throwing them on to us you know i yeah. think when jesus says no greater love is this that a man takes the spankings of someone else he doesn't say that no he says no greater love is this that a man lay down his life for someone else like if someone gave their life to go out of love it wasn't taking punishment it's out of love that's driving you Do you see the difference so there's total suffering you are entering into the other person's suffering and punishment but it's not like it's not about taking spankings. I think that's the key. Um, when you get to the, a broader level of looking at the curse biblically, uh, Deuteronomy 28 is you no know, more the, the covenant that's given to all of Israel as they're about to go into the promised land. So you, you can also see those curses being enacted. And what happens there? You've got, you know, if you're not faithful to the covenant, what will happen to the people of Israel? They're not, they're going to lose the land. Just like Adam was expelled out of Edom, Eden, Israel will be expelled from the, the promised land. They'll go into exile. uh, And it says that, and that exile is going to be like a death. They use death as an image to describe, you know, you're going to have this great life and blessing in this beautiful land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land. But if you break the covenant, you're going to lose the land. You'll be swept away by a foreign country. You'll go into exile and it'll be like death. It'll be the curse. And it says in Deuteronomy 28, even your king will be handed over to the Gentiles. So when we look at Jesus, who's crowned on Good Friday, and there's a sign that says Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. This is his enthronement on the cross, but he's the king that has been handed over to the Gentiles. He was handed over to Pilate or the Romans who condemned him to death. The Romans take him outside the city walls. Like you're going out of the city, out into exile, handed over to the Gentiles and he experiences the covenantal death. He's like, he's entering into that um but once again he why is he doing that he's going there because by his very going there exile is over because the real exile the idea of like i'm away from the land is a symbol for a deeper exile which is i'm away from god like right, when adam and eve are expelled from the garden it's more of a sign of their broken relationship with god that you know that's that's more devastating than the geographical expelling you know so jesus being handed over the gentiles by the romans for you know taking on all that Deuteronomy 28 foretold is a sign of him, you know, his actually entering into that covenant death to bring us life and the blessing again.
1: You know, something I heard that was so crazy that the early presidents, when they swore the oath of office, they didn't just have their hand on the Bible. They had their hand on the book of curses in Deuteronomy. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. I can't wow. remember where I read that. But what what, what that, did we do that again? <laughs> I, I, know, I know. When you wake up as strangers in a strange land, yeah, things are getting pretty strange here. Okay, so I want to I pivot this because one of the beautiful things about our Catholic Christian faith, when we evangelize, we are evangelizing people to come home, right? That, that notion of like, you have a father in heaven, you have a brother who redeemed you, who bought you with his own life to bring you home. And part of that coming home is getting an identity, having a meal, right? Being fed, being nourished by the, by the very word of God. And you have this beautiful liturgical aspect that is found in the passion narratives, okay? So listen to the same Metropolitan, which I, I thought was so awesome, the stuff that he was saying. But one of the things he said was, uh, and he was railing against what he called pagan blood sacrifice which is how he defined penal substitutionary atonement you don't find satisfaction only in the roman church you hear that and then luther with his pagan distortions of blood sacrifice so i found a lot of that interesting and obviously we, we, we can make some plenty of nuances there but he said this line that i thought was interesting he said christ's death on the cross was the passover lamb the Paschal Lamb, right? The Paschal Mystery. It's not a sin offering, which is where you sacrifice the animals to get their blood. It's not a sin offering. The Paschal Lamb in Exodus was not a substitute, right? Yes, his blood was shed and put on the doorpost and lintel, but that, it wasn't a sin offering. Jesus is the Paschal Lamb and that's all he is, which is why you have to reject penal substitutionary atonement. And when I'm hearing that you know, I, I, I think of, you know, that phrase, Christ who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And you can hear in that, right? That kind of like you can feel that reformed theology pull like, see, he became sin. But really, it's he became a sin offering, right? In in I was listening to uh, Jimmy Aiken, right? And he was saying, when you actually break down that phrase, he became sin. It's so, uh, throwing back to Leviticus of a sin offering. And then when you go through the book of Hebrews... Jesus is the the ultimate high priest who is offering his blood. It, isn't it the Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement? Isn't that the theology that that uh, Hebrews is principally drawing from more than just Passover? In, in Hebrews, I think so. In yeah. Hebrews, yeah. Yeah, so you have, like, uh, so as Catholics, we would say, well, you know, in go- the Gospel of Luke, he's inaugurating the Jubilees, right? So he's drawing on all the feasts of the Jews, not just... Passover. So how and and it's through Passover that we understand the sacrifice, right? So how do we tie the death of Jesus, what happened two thousand years ago, the once for all sacrifice that we hear about over and over again in Hebrews? How do we tie that to the holy sacrifice of the Mass?
0: Yeah, uh, I do think that yeah, all the sacrifices of the Old Testament point to Christ's sacrifice in some way. So I I think Passover is the primary one. That's it's clear; it's the Mm -hmm. Passover season. That's what the Gospels draw the most attention to. Uh, but I think the, the key for us here, and it's again why, you know, if we really see that the, what Jesus does in the cross, isn't just taking on our punishment. So we, then we just passively go, Oh, we applaud. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for doing that for us. And we just sit back and can you do more things for me too? You, you get, you end up with a very self-centered Christianity. I think a very yeah. therapeutic Christianity is about what Jesus does for me. He yeah. helps me fulfill my dreams. He helps me fulfill my plans. He helps me solve my problems. He helps me feel good about myself. Cause he died for me. You know, he does everything for me. Yeah. No, no. As I said earlier in the show, Jesus didn't die. So we don't have to, uh, Jesus, offered up this perfect gift of love to restore us to the father but he wants to relive what he did on calvary and all of us because he shows us that's what love is real love is revealed most fully with jesus on the cross that's what love is to to lay down your life for someone else to sequence us we do it in small ways with our wife our children and the people around us and ultimately worship with god so when it comes to the mass that's where that's where we encounter this love incarnate the most profoundly you know is right there if i if you have areas that you need to grow in love then you want to go to mass and you want to go regularly you want to do all you can to get there because in the mass we encounter that sacrifice of christ made present you know so at the last supper there's just theological biblical background on this you know when jesus says this line do this as a memorial of me he's talking about you know a biblical understanding of memorial which is not just to remember to bring to mind it means to make present. so the jews when they celebrated the passover meal they really believed that the first passover night you know way back in egypt was made present to them they believed that aaron and moses and joshua all those original founding fathers of the country were made present so that you can enter into that founding event uh well what jesus is doing at the last supper is he's not sacrificing a lamb He's talking about his body being offered up. That's technical language from the temple sacrifices to offer up the lamb in sacrifice. And it's his blood being poured out. That's technical language again from scripture about the, the blood of the animal being poured out over the altar for forgiveness of sins. If you're an apostle there, you know, Jesus is talking about sacrifice, but not a lamb over there. He's talking about his own body and blood being offered up and poured out. And at the end, he says, do this as a memorial of me. So, so, He's telling the apostles, commanding them, make this present, make this offering of my body and blood present. He's instituting the new Passover meal, which is the Eucharist, the Mass. And so every time we go to Mass, that, that event from 2,000 years ago, the gift of love that Jesus offered to the Father, the perfect gift of love is made present to us so that we can participate in it, so that he can relive his sacrificial love in us. So in this last year, when I heard so many Catholics in 2020 miss Holy Communion, you know, they miss being able to go because the churches were closed and there were all these restrictions and and it was beautiful to hear the longing of many Catholics to want to receive Jesus. That was beautiful. And they they did many spiritual communions. I don't think I heard a single Catholic, however, say they missed the sacrifice of the Mass. Mm. That tells me something. Yeah. tells me we have a very self-centered a little more transactional kind of view of religion religions become more about what jesus does for me now don't get me wrong communion's amazing right so it is wonderful we sh- the angels are rejoicing yeah. the people were longing for communion i just wish that they also missed the sacrifice of the mass why because in the mass is when i give my life to god i unite my works my joys my sufferings i unite my entire life with the sacrifice of jesus on the cross to the father and it's a gift of love that i'm offering uh, and, and I just didn't hear Catholics. I, I remember intuitively that first mass I had to watch from home on TV. I just remember just still praying, you know, like I always do, Jesus, I give you all my work so much. I unite my whole heart. I give you my whole life right now. Like wanting to do it. I, so I, I, I kind of made up my own spiritual sacrifice, you know, there's spiritual communion. Yeah. This is like spiritual sacrifice. Communion is what we receive. But the mass is also about what we give. And it's about our hearts expanding with the love of Jesus that's offered to the Father. Uh, And so as we're getting back into masses, God willing, in more and more parts of the country and across the world, let's also long to give our hearts
1: fully in the liturgy. Amen. Amen. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. So what we're going to do right now is take a little break. We want to encourage everyone out there listening. This is good stuff. We want you to constantly dive into your face. So head on over to uh, Ascension Press, see all the good stuff the fine folks have. We're rebooting. They are rebooting a biblical walk through the mass, a refreshing, updating, they're shooting new video is that right what is that what they're doing well, oh it was so funny
0: it's 10 year anniversary since the book walk the mass came out so uh we redid the book and so it has all the great content from the original book 10 years ago but i added a lot more a lot more reflections from that time so uh nice. and the same thing with the videos we got to film like i think the old videos were just me presenting for about a half hour in a church and people loved them i guess but we're, we keep all the same content it's just we're doing it now inside a beautiful cathedral i'm moving around all the different parts of the cathedral for the different parts of the and I think it's going to be even more engaging and and applicable for people's lives.
1: Nice, nice. So you're going to want to head on over to ascensionpress.com for that. Email us your questions at eksb at ascensionpress.com. We will go through your questions, answer them, maybe on the show. It is uh, good stuff for us to constantly being challenged and and coming up with. Uh, there's so many scenarios that are out there that people have questions. Uh, about evangelization as Catholics that we want to make sure that when we're answering your questions, the reality is about 10 other people probably have the exact same question out there. So send them in, EKSB at ascensionpress.com. We'll be right back. Alrighty, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Every Knee Shall Bow, concluding, you know, we always like to keep it practical here on the show. So uh, we're going to talk about how do we keep the holy sacrifice of the mass as central, not just what I get out of it, but what I'm doing when I show up at the masses. We're all starting to come back and uh, feel a little bit of normalcy now. So how can we get that? How can we keep the holy sacrifice of the mass so central?
0: Yeah, I I think, you know, this idea of, first of all, just really trying to make sure we understand it. Most Catholics, you know, these studies show they don't believe in the real presence, which is really sad. Uh, But I don't, if you did that same survey and said how many Even are aware that the mass is a sacrifice. I mean, I think the numbers are going to be dramatically, you know, low. (laughs) You know, uh, and what what does that even mean? So I I think educating ourselves more on that to know, you know, you can look up in the catechism, uh, many good resources on mass, but to learn about that part. But practically here, what can we say here? If if I were a pastor, or if I were a you know catechist in a parish, a church leader, and I wanted, I was trying to inspire people to the sacrifice of the mass. I I want I would I always like to raise the question of, you know, think about the areas in your life where you know Jesus is asking you to grow in in sacrificial love, like to give more, to love more, to surrender more, to trust him more, to serve more. That could be in your marriage, it could be with your kids, it could be just some problem at work, you know, something going on at the parish, you feel misunderstood, you feel, you know, unappreciated, you know, these are just the the crud that comes up in ordinary daily life. Guess what? Every time you go to Mass, you have a chance to just not make that just crud in your life. You have a chance to make it an encounter moment, a moment to encounter Jesus, because that's how Jesus felt on Good Friday. He felt unappreciated, unloved, abandoned by his friends, let down by people, mocked, ridiculed. You ever feel those things. Bring it especially to the mass and tell Jesus, Jesus, I, 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 this hurts. <laughs> I don't know how this is going to work out. I'm scared. I'm suffering, whatever it is. He loves when we bring him our hearts like that and then say, you know, Jesus, I unite this with you and in, in, in your offering to the father because his gift of love on Calvary on Good Friday travels through time and is made sacramentally present to us at every mass and it's a, it's a great chance to to unite our sufferings with his and and when i say unite that thing sounds like so vague you know it sounds just like oh i'm just unite, i'm offering it up no no no. but it really is it, it i think of it in a personal way that jesus doesn't want to just meet us in the mass and in the adoration chapel and in my lecture divina prayer time he wants to meet me in the crosses that come up in my life and i want to take those crosses and bring them to the cross itself at every mass I, and I also, if I know that Jesus is calling me to, to love more in some way, I can, I can beg him, say, Jesus, my wife and I go through this hard time, help me to love her more. Or I'm worried about one of my kids, Jesus, help me to love this child more, or this problem at work, help me to love more. Whatever it is, like you encounter love himself, sacrificial love himself most profoundly in the sacrifice of the mass. I think many people, when they think about the sacrifice of mass, if they know about it, they stay just on the theoretical level it's Calvary coming to you. And that's great. But, I want, but what difference does that make? <laughs> you know, I can look at a picture of Calvary. I could read in the Bible about Calvary, but what difference does it make? It makes all the difference because we're made to give our lives totally as a gift of love. That's where we find ourselves. And so we want, we want to go to Mass. We want to go often. We want to enter into that sacrifice, not just passively say
1: the words. Perfect. Beautiful. What a great way to end the show. Dr. Shree. thank you so much for coming out here. Thank you so much for uh, giving us your time and explaining a little bit more about Catholic, authentically Catholic atonement theology, understanding how the cross changes the game in our lives. So uh, once again, this has been Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast in evangelization. Pray for the Van Vickles as we go forward. God bless y'all.